Thanks for being with us today. We're kicking off a brand new series going into the book of Ezekiel, uh, and it's going to be uh, strange and odd. And here's what I want to tell you about the book of Ezekiel is if you go home today and start going, I wonder how much information there is like other teaching on the book of Ezekiel, you will find that this is, in my opinion, one of the least taught books in all of scripture. Uh, I was able to find three churches that had a series online where they went through the book. So it's not a very commonly taught book. uh, And and you'll see why today, because it gets into some really interesting territory. So uh, as I kick off, and I'm going to, I'm going to move quickly today because uh, to kind of kick this thing off, we're going to be in five chapters uh, and we'll slow down a little bit after this. But I want to tell you that uh, this is a, a, a story uh, or, or a, a, a series of prophecies and encounters with God, or prophecies from God, encounters with God that are recorded for us. And they are relevant to today because they are referenced by other writers inside of Scripture. And so Ezekiel is one of those that when we're reading through the New Testament, there are, are, are passages that are quoted out of Ezekiel or referenced back into it. So when you're hearing this, you're like, oh, this is kind of crazy. It doesn't matter. You're wrong. It matters. In fact, you've read portions of this just by going through the New Testament. And so, so what I want to say is I, w- I want to share a testimony with you uh, right here out of the gate uh, so that I, when, I'm, when I'm telling you that I believe these things, uh, I, uh, I want you to understand that I believe them out of my own personal life. So uh, I have had a few moments in my life where I have seen God show up and do what is just the, the complete and total miraculous, all right? Uh, one of those, and, and I, I'm not going to cover a whole bunch of these moments in my life, and, and this is when we talk about having a relationship with God, this is kind of what we're talking about, is that as you are in pursuit of Him, God shows up in, in, in just crazy ways. One of those for us was years ago uh, when uh, Isaac, my oldest, was in a, a daycare uh, he's probably three years old. Uh, we were engaged or involved in a church and they had a daycare and we were picking Isaac up and I walked past a minister from the church and this other woman uh, who was not uh, related to anybody on staff and I, as clear as day, heard the voice of God speak to me and tell me that they were having an affair. And uh, I got into the car and any moment like that where God gives you foresight or, 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 or knowledge about something is overwhelming, or at least for me. And I got in the car and I told my wife right then and there, I said, I can't tell anybody this, but this is what God showed me. And I don't know why, but God showed me that this man who is on staff, he was actually the youth minister of this church, is having an affair with this other woman and uh, I don't know what to do about it. And uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, we were just serving in the youth ministry, helping. Uh, We had our own family, and uh, I uh, was helping, and uh, I ended up getting a uh, a virus on my computer, 
and I could not figure out how. Well, I had hooked up uh, some data that he had given me onto my computer, and uh, the virus, I did some research, and again, my wife was there, and it was uh, some type of computer virus that was linked to a porn site. And I thought, I, ha I have not been looking at porn. Now, I won't tell you that that's been my testimony my entire life. I'm not going to lie to you and make you think that I've been perfect. But this season of my life, I was not looking at anything. And so it was really odd. And so uh, I, I, I connected the dots. And I went to uh, the pastor's uh, daughter uh, who was on staff and told her what had happened and that I was really concerned for what was going on. But I didn't know what to do about it. And that was right at Christmas time. We went home to uh, Birmingham. So we were living in Florida. We went to Birmingham, Alabama, and I got a phone call uh, two days before Christmas that they had caught this youth pastor in an affair with uh, this woman, exactly like God had told me, and they wanted me to step in and become the youth pastor. And that's the only reason I, I think at the time that God was revealing that to me or a combination of helping to expose it because for ministers to walk in that type of sin is just detrimental to the flock. It's detrimental to people's lives. And so, so all I can tell you is that happened in my life. Uh, and then, and then on, a, on a separate note, and many of you have heard the story before, but our third child uh, who's sitting up here on the front row, Zoe, was born with a condition called high drops fatalis. And the doctor said he had zero chance of living zero chance. Uh, he was swollen to the point where his uh, retinas detached. He was blind. His uh, eardrums had burst. Uh, he, was, he had so much pressure, he was bleeding out of his cuticles. And God began to do a miraculous work. And just to keep it simple for you, uh, one day my, my wife came into the uh, uh, NIC unit and the, doc, the nurses asked if she had spoken with the uh, eye doctor because he had done an eye exam and literally screamed out loud and then just like a madman left and didn't tell anybody why he was screaming. And of course, that as a parent, that panics you. So she's calling me like something's wrong. And uh, he, uh, she gets in touch with him and he says, I don't know what to tell you but both of your son's retinas reattached and his vision is restored. And this is impossible. Like this cannot happen. Like there's no surgery. There's no procedure for this. Maybe some freak chance one retina could reattach, but for both of them to do it at the same time, he said, I've never heard of this before. And it was a year later we were in his office, or I wasn't there, my wife was there, and he had an intern. And uh, he began to tell the intern about what had happened. And the intern called him a liar right there in the room and said, you're lying. You're a liar. That's not possible. And uh, she said, uh, Carmen said that the, the doctor turned to the intern and said, you tell that to the daddy and the man upstairs because <laughs> he knew that we were believers and we had been praying for God to do the miraculous. So when I jump into this content and it makes you uncomfortable, right? And, and it might make you uncomfortable, but I just want you to know that like, I believe God interacts like this. I believe God moves like this. And I believe that he is not finished all right. And so if there's ever been any confusion in your mind, because this is the thing that's kind of got me tripping out right now, right? As I'm teaching the word and teaching the same things I always use, I keep other people going, Pastor Jim, 
I didn't know you believed that. And I'm like, what is different about me? Like, right? Like, again, I have to realize it's not something that's different about me. There's something different happening in the world, and we're just looking at things different. We're listening to things different, and we're going to jump into Ezekiel right now, and it's going to be odd, and I'm not asking you to be all tripped out okay? I'm just, I'm asking you that if you believe that God's word is God's word, right, then, then to receive what's going on. So I'm going to go, uh, the first three chapters of this uh, uh, are an introduction. And so I'm going to, just because of how trippy this can be, I'm going to go verse by verse, and I'm going to move quickly for you. And uh, I'm going to go verse by verse because I, I don't want to try to describe for you what's going on. Let me add one more thing. I have put together a verse by verse study guide of all first five chapters. I'm going to do this for every verse of the whole book, and it will be available on Facebook following service uh, as a PDF. So if you want to go in and go a little bit deeper, you can go and download that and take a look at it. Uh, So I'm calling today's message, The Watchman. uh, And uh, let's just go in, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. All right. So in the third, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the uh, Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions from God. I'm not going to stop at every verse, but there are a few I want to pause on because there's some good information for us. Look, look at what it says. It says in the 30th year, right? Now, he doesn't say in the 30th year of a king's reign or the 30th year of our exile. or the, He doesn't tether it to any event. So most scholars believe that the significance of him putting this time frame in there is that it is tethered to his birth, that he is 30 years old. Now, let me tell you why that matters. Remember that Jesus could not begin his ministry until he was 30 years old because the expectation for the Levites, those that would become the priests, right? They were a part of the priesthood was that they would not be seen as mature enough to be able to be the rabbi, to be the priest, to be the prophet until they were 30 years old. And so what Ezekiel is doing right here out of the gate, because remember that the word of God is not written to us, it's written for us, but it was written to the Jews during this time. So he wants to help make sure that the Jewish people that that are reading this will be able to understand that he has reached the age where it is now appropriate in their society for him to be ministering this way. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. Again, right here, what we are seeing is that now we are tethered to an event, okay? All right? Uh, and, and the son of, I mean, and Jehoiakim is the son of Jehoiakim. So remember when we were in the book of Daniel, and Daniel goes into exile, the king at the time was Jehoiakim. He rebels against Nebuchadnezzar and is killed, and his son comes in to be king for three months, and then Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes him, puts him in prison, all right, giving you some some of the the context here, puts him in prison, establishes his own king, and so Jehoiakim, not the son of Jehoiakim, he actually is the last by heir king of Israel, and when Nebuchadnezzar dies, his son releases Jehoiakim and allows him to have a place at his table for the remainder of his days, puts his crown back on him, and identifies him as king, but he lives out his days in Babylon eating at Nebuchadnezzar's son's table. So again, point for context. 
We are dealing with a story that is happening simultaneously with the prophet Jeremiah, Daniel, and Habakkuk. All of these we've covered over the past uh, couple of months, okay? So in a timeline of things that's happening, we are dealing with a series of prophets that are prophesying simultaneously. This is what's so powerful about this. God is, God is bringing judgment that he said he was going to bring. He told them that he was going to bring it. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 26, he says, if you do not do the things that I am commanding you, including giving the land a Sabbath, I will bring judgment on you. I'll talk more about that when we get to chapter 5. So he tells them, he says that there's a blessing for obedience, but there is judgment for disobedience because there is more at play than just you and your personal grace, right? So, so the idea here that I want us to connect with is that when we walk in rebellion, right, and we go, oh, you know, I just, I don't think God really cares about that anymore. Well, by walking in rebellion and God not intervening in our lives, the problem that we come into is that as he is trying to minister in the lives of others to see them get saved, there's a testimony that's being cross-made that I can live however I want to live and God doesn't care. And that's exactly the opposite of what God's trying to do to lead somebody to him. He's trying to tell them, you need a savior. And so God says, I'll, I'll, I'll bring judgment. And so that judgment has has fallen on them. Jeremiah is uh, in capti- is not in captivity. He is in Jerusalem. Daniel is in captivity in Babylon, and Habakkuk is not in captivity. But of course, the world just does not look the same for them during this time period. Verse three: The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Kibar Canal, and the uh, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So where are we at? Uh, just some some perspective. You have Babylon, and there is this Kibar Canal uh, ran along the Euphrates River and was basically a shortcut. And so Ezekiel's ministry is happening just outside of Babylon proper and right along this canal. And there are a lot of Israelites that have, or Jewish people that have ended up living here in this place, okay? So, verse 4, as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. So he sees this cloud, there's brightness around it, and something that looks like hot metal in the midst of it. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. So if you can just imagine, Ezekiel is beginning his ministry with this incredible vision that is taking place right here in front of him. And it's not just a vision like where God shows up and is like, hey, yeah, I've got a little glow to me, but I'm a lot like you, so let's sit and chat for a little bit. That's not what's happening for Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel is getting this like Lord of the Rings experience, Chronicles of Narnia moment, right? And it's happening, and he's, he's writing this down for us. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus, 
Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle, presumably on the backside. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the Spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. Uh, And so you just get this picture. They each went without turning because there was the ability to see in all directions. And so uh, the, just moving left to right, they didn't need to make a turn because they were able to see, right? Uh, anybody have an experience like that with their mom? Like she's got her back to you, but she knows exactly what you're doing, you know? Uh, uh, this is more literal than the mom having eyes in the back of her head, but my mom had eyes in the back of her head. Uh, maybe she was a winged creature. Uh, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. I just want to point out this this phrase, this, this, this use of the word likeness and like. These are things that Ezekiel has never seen before. So when he is describing it, and we're going to see this type of language used throughout Scripture. In fact, when Jesus is baptized, right, and he comes up out of the water, it says that the heavens opened and God spoke and the Spirit descended on him like a dove, right? Now, in Sunday school, in our little felt board presentation, we saw the dove come down, right? But it wasn't a dove. It was the Spirit of God. And it's, it's good to just get this inside of us. When we see a description that uses a term, that uses this term in likeness or like, right? That means that the writer is trying to help us understand what they saw the best that they can. Okay, and so there is no, there's no like pointing to this creature or these creatures and saying this is what they're called. So it was like this. Okay, so like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among living creatures, and the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth this lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a will on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wills and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a will within a will. This is that verse that when you watch Ancient Aliens, the dude with the awesome hair says, this is proof that there are aliens and UFOs right here hidden in the Bible, right? And why? Because this picture of a will inside of a will, and that's a UFO, it's clearly a UFO, minus the fact that there's... uh, four creatures with four faces and wings touching each other, right? You can see why I'm reading this instead of trying to summarize it for you. Uh, And just a picture for you, Beryl, this is a transparent pale green or 
blue yellow mineral. Uh, it's something that uh, is a cheap gemstone. In fact, you can get on Amazon and order order a barrel gemstone, but it's very commonplace. And so when he's mentioning this barrel, it's again to paint a picture for the people so they get an idea of what it looked like. Now, when they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. Uh, I'm not going to cover every footnote, but if you're looking here in the ESV, you'll see that little letter E there. Uh, and that footnote for directions is on their four sides. And so in the Hebrew, the, the picture would have been that they went in any of their four sides, uh, but that type of language doesn't really fit within what the way we speak, and so the translators use the word directions, but I just, I want you to get a picture of the fact that they can just move forward and backwards and side to side, and there's not this need for turning on their behalf. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were uh, full of eyes all around. And so these wheels had eyes all around them, uh, basically giving us the picture that they could see in any direction that they were going. Okay, so it was this, it's this same imagery that we, that uh, Tolkien used when he did the all-seeing eye and the Lord of the Rings, this idea that it can see everything. And, and this imagery has found its way throughout history, showing up and everything from the occult to, uh, we have the all-seeing eye on the, uh, on the dollar bill, right? Uh, this idea of being able to see, Ezekiel says, I see these wheels and there are eyes all over it so that they can see everything that is happening. Now, does this not speak though to, to us about God's omnipotence, his ability to know things and see things, his, uh, his omnipresence to be able to be present at all times? So verse 19, and when the living creatures went, the four wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, uh, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And so, again, one more footnote for you. I've got a couple I want to cover. Uh, this one is the Spirit of life. So when it, talk, when it says of the living creatures, uh, Ezekiel is actually saying that the spirit of life was on these things. The spirit of God resided in this crazy contraption right here, right? I imagine the ultimate Tesla with the spirit of God powering it instead of a series of lithium batteries, right? Okay, it, it, is, it is that crazy sounding. So the spirit of life is on this, this living thing. When those went these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. So this word expanse, I was just reading through this weeks ago and, and, and reading through it in a couple of different uh, translations. And one of the translations used the word was a firmament. And it reminded me right back at the creation story. And so, so this, this uh, word here uh, for expanse 
is the same word that is used in Genesis 1 when it talks about the Spirit of the Lord hovered above the firmament, above the expanse. So what Ezekiel is saying is that that sitting above this contraption that has the Spirit of God just constantly empowering it, he sees this window into this expanse, okay? So verse 7, and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. So there's an image here of him seeing creation unfolding in the expanse. So there's a window. And remember that the word says that that for God, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. Time in God's realm, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. It's not, it's not a necessity, right? It's something that moves us forward. It moves the story forward in our realm, but in his realm, it's not needed. So literally, Ezekiel is watching the heavens divide, right? So he is watching, he's getting a glimpse, Ezekiel is, at 550 BC, somewhere in there, 600 BC. He's getting a glimpse into a story that was written by Moses about the creation of all things. And he says, I saw this expanse sitting above this contraption. And he says that the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and uh, there was evening. Oh, that's Genesis. I accidentally dumped this in right here. Uh, and God called the expanse heaven, and, the, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Now, go back to Ezekiel here. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings." And there came a voice from above the expanse of their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And so here we have this uh, this this word sapphire. You're probably somewhat familiar with it. Uh, in the Hebrew, it is uh, lapis or lap uh, or lazuli. Uh, and so it is a, a, a deep blue metamorphic rock. And I just wanted to give you a picture of what he is describing the expanse to look like, right? So this is a stone that's been polished down, but does it not look like a picture into the galaxy, into the universe, right? So he's describing this in the best way that he can for his readers to understand that this expanse, it looked like this stone that we've seen, right? And we would look at this and we would say, like, 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 and of course it's round, so we would almost, in this particular instance, so we would almost think like this is, could be like a picture of Earth from, from space, right? Or using any number of telescopes that have been developed, we would say this looks like the depths of of space, this expanse, this firmament. There's really great detail that Ezekiel is getting here that he just on his own could not have had. 
So, and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around, and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around, such as, I mean, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. So we get this, we get 28 verses. We get a small little introduction to our introduction. And then he goes right into giving us this imagery of how God is revealing himself. And he doesn't tell us until the final verse here that this is the glory of God, that, that, we, that he is getting a glimpse at God in his full glory. And what is his response when he realizes that it's the creator of all things? He falls on his face, right? He falls on his face in reverence, in fear of the Lord. This is him bowing down because the creator is now speaking to him. Now, the next two chapters are not as long as the first chapter. I am going to go verse by verse through them. Uh, Verse 1, And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. Footnote here for Son of man. Uh, This is throughout all of Ezekiel. It's this terminology, uh, Son of Adam. All right? So there's this imagery that uh, that he is a, that, that, that this is that which I have created. Okay? Verse two, and as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. So Ezekiel has an encounter with God and God says, I'm sending you to my people, right? Remember that this was the portion that God kept for himself following the the destruction of the Tower of Babel and he's dividing up the nations and it says, "I'll, I'll keep a tithe, a portion for myself, right? And we follow their story from that point that this is a group of people who have seen God manifested by fire at night, cloud during the day, on top of the mountain, they see a lightning storm. They see God moving. He feeds them while during their 40 years of wandering and it just isn't enough for them to live holy. It's just not enough for them to to even make these really strong, continuous attempts to walk out the things that God has asked them to walk out. And so they constantly fall into wickedness. Generation after generation says to themselves, I'm exempt from this. It's really the only way I know how to put it. And, 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 and sitting here thinking about this and thinking about this language of rebellion, it's like, I don't know how to say this to a generation today and it not be offensive, right? Because, because a lot of times we, we, judge, we, 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 we judge how God feels about something based on how we view ourselves, right? And, and, and how many of you, if you get really honest and you think about it, how, how many of you know people or even yourself have been guilty of thinking, well, well, there's no way God feels that way about this because I don't feel that way about this. As if, as if your 
consciousness and your way of thinking, right, is on par with God's. Like your perspective and your view of the world, it equals God's. And so surely if I feel this way about this thing that somebody's calling sin or this perspective, there's no way God could feel differently about it. And this is why we have the word, right? This is why we get the word of God. And then when we're in relationship with God, this is why among us, there are those who will encounter God to be a voice to the church. So verse five, And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. So, hey, just want to go ahead and let you know that being a prophet is not the equivalent of having your own, uh, what are we at, G5? right now, or are we higher than that, Jim, on our Gulf Streams? What's that? 700, right? So being a prophet is not having your own private 700. Uh, He tells Ezekiel, you're going to be in briars and thorns and sitting on scorpions, right? Could you imagine asking some prophets today to ride on a scorpion? So probably not. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear Hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I'm just curious here how many times God can call them a rebellious house before Ezekiel kind of goes, they must really be rebellious right now because he's using this terminology uh, uh, pretty frequently. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. So uh, I, I just will just point out here that oftentimes the voice of a minister um, was, during this time period, was dismissed that a minister would come and present something, and if a prophet here, God said this, I need you to hear it. And oftentimes among the believers, it was dismissed. Now, why do I say among the believers? We're familiar with the story of Jonah, right? Jonah comes in with a prophetic word from God to a, to a group of people who are racist bigots filled with hate, and they repent immediately and turn to God, Right? It is the rebellious house that has a difficult time listening to the word of God. And it's not just for Ezekiel. Remember when Stephen is standing there before the council and he is telling them, you guys have always been stubborn. You have always turned your back on what God is saying in the moment. And you have sought after a teaching or a thought that you wanted to hear. And you know what they did to him is they picked up rocks and threw them at him until he was dead. It's called stoning. It's a little bit different than getting stoned today, but, you know, can lead to the same effect. Not really. And so it is not uncommon for, some, for, a, for a minister to hear from God and people to go, ah, that's crazy. That doesn't fit with the narrative today. I'm reading through a, uh, a new book I found last night. Uh, 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 it's called uh, uh, Anarchy for America. Uh, it's a delightful read, and uh, 
it, is, uh, uh, it offers the premise that there are uh, two warring factions in society. There always are religion and culture, and they can never walk hand in hand, and we need to work really hard to make sure that culture wins, right? That sounds quite opposite of what God is sending his ministers to come and communicate inside of the Word. So I think I can say with some confidence that, that, that the idea behind these movements like some type of anarchy, socialism, communism, Marxism, when they are telling you that, that religion is bad, specifically calling out Christianity, that they have on them the spirit of the Antichrist meaning that they are against Christ. And, and, and I'm working on a video that I'll be releasing in the next couple of weeks. You can look forward, forward to hating it or loving it, but I have been reading through the Communist Manifesto and a number of other really great books of the modern age, and uh, I want to share some things, some thoughts I have on this with you, because can I tell you today that, that it is incompatible with Christianity, that when a group of people say, we need to see Christianity destroyed. We need to silence those that claim to walk in harmony with God, that you can't walk hand in hand with somebody that wants to see you die. And so you, 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 you don't get to go, yeah, yeah, we, we, we've worked our differences out and we're best friends now. We've just agreed to disagree. But on the backside, they're building an organization to wipe you out. Like, like, I would call that foolishness, you know? Uh, and and this, is, this isn't something that's new, right? When, when the Word of God comes to a rebellious people and it calls them to holiness and repentance, rebellious believers constantly act rebellious. And why would we be given this Word? We would be given this Word as a, as a way of, of causing caution or presenting a moment of pause in our own lives that we would be able to go, hey, I need to make sure that I'm not missing what God has for me because I presume to know the will of God because God thinks like I think. Now, We'll go to Ezekiel chapter 3. I told you these next two chapters are a lot shorter. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my, uh, in my mouth as sweet as honey. This is a description for us that as he was consuming the word of God, as he was consuming that which God was presenting to him, it was sweet as honey. It was good. He, it, 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 it was good for him. And I will tell you this, that as you dig into the word of God and you consume it in your life, and, and, and that's, that's, that requires you to do it. Like you have to be the one that digs in and begins to read through the scriptures. And if the only time that you're reading through scripture is when I, I'm up here and I'm reading through three chapters, you're going to miss out on so much of the wisdom God wants to impart into your life to make you a better husband, a better wife, father, uh, mother, son, daughter, friend, whatever it is at work, like you're going to miss out on the wisdom that can be added into your life. Uh, and so it says that he ate it and it was sweet as 
honey. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. And so God says, I want you to go and tell them what I have to say. For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you uh, to such, they would listen to you. What does he say? He says, if I were sending you to some foreign group of people who spoke a different language, they'd probably all listen to what you have to say. But I'm going to send you to people that talk like you talk. Mannerisms, they've got all the same sayings down. They're going to talk like you talk, and they're not going to listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. So, Not every mission field is among those who have never heard the word. When we think about missions and we think about doing missions work, we think about sending somebody who wants to go to a foreign land where they've never heard the gospel before. But that is not exclusively what ministers are called to do. Sometimes we are called to come into neighborhoods, communities where people do not want to hear the word of God as authority in their life. And I will say that this is really relevant to me today because part of what I have been discovering, I read a, uh, a, a survey that was done that says that, that 60% of uh, people who are, I think it's between ages 22 and like 40 or 39, somewhere in there, 60% of them claim to be Christian, but less than 2% believe that the Word of God is actually the Word of God, right? That, that's startling to me because, because the, 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 the idea for me that God has not presented His Word through His people saying, say what I am saying, right, and has not protected that to me, diminishes God's authority. And I, I'm not, this isn't a new idea to me when I read it this week, because I've heard ministers talking about this idea that, well, the, you know, people encountered God and they just kind of wrote down what they saw and we just need to take it kind of like, you know, it's good for us, but it's not the end-all be-all. And I would argue that the Word of God is God's Word. And so he tells Ezekiel, he says, go and, and take my words, not yours. Don't put together a little illustration that's of your own doing. Go and say what I have for you to say. Verse 18, if the world, oh, this is John 15, 18. I wanted to point this out real quick. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. As a reminder, right? So, so Ezekiel is getting prepared to go and say a word to a rebellious group of people. He says that, that, that if they spoke a different language, they would listen, but they're not gonna listen because they are hardened. Their hearts are hardened. They know more than you know. And Jesus said, just remember, right? That when the world hates you, and so, you know, there's this, uh, when we talk about Christian persecution in the world, there's a group of people who immediately begin to kind of, ah, Christians being persecuted, I'm tired of hearing about it. But Jesus said that that was the case, that there would be, there would be a hatred towards the faith, right? And he says that when the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Just a word of caution 
that I believe comes from the mouth of Jesus, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They do not know the Father. And because they do not know the Father, they will not receive the word that the Father is sending. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father Verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. Why would Jesus make a reference to the writings here in the law of the Old Testament if they were not authoritative and say they must be fulfilled? They hated me without a cause. And so here's what I have to to say is that Jesus believes that the scriptures that they have at this point, the Old Testament as we call it, that they were authoritative enough that he would reference them and that he would say that down, right? Let's move forward. All right, so God will give his ministers the backbone that's needed, right? And so uh, uh, this is that this is the thing that then I'll just be transparent with you for a moment as a pastor like like I have to constantly go to God and say God like I'm I'm I believe that your word is truth I need I need some help here right because because even for myself I fall under the attack I, I have the conversations with people who are like well Pastor Jim how can you believe that in today's day and I have to I have to stand my ground right and so that's what Ezekiel is having to encounter for himself and he says uh, back in Ezekiel 3 behold I have made your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads so it's probably not uncommon for a minister right that's doing the will of God to be just as stubborn as you are so don't be surprised by that when you think to yourself like when I went in and gave him the what for or her the what for and they just stood there and nodded like they weren't even listening. You know what I'm saying? Like, like having a backbone is what is required to do the work of the father, right? Uh, verse nine, like emery harder than flint have, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Now, Ezekiel doesn't know what he's talking about right here because he's about to have Ezekiel do some really crazy stuff, right? So he's like, hey, when they're laughing at you, don't worry about it. And he's probably thinking, oh, yeah, because they're mean, right? No, it's because you're going to look like a clown doing the things that I'm calling you to do. So moreover, he said to me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another and the sound of the wheels beside them and the sound of a great earthquake 
the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. Why was he in bitterness? Most scholars say that this is indicative of the fact that as God was lifting him up and calling him out and talking about the rebellious nature, it was not just, hey, this is a rebellious nature of a group of people. This is the rebellious nature of your people. And Ezekiel was filled with bitterness because Ezekiel became acutely aware of the sin of the people that he called friends and family. And it was not that sweet honey that he experienced earlier, but it is, there's a bitterness, right? When you have to go and navigate a relationship that is uh, uh, where somebody is in sin, and you have to go and you have to begin the process of navigating that. That's not a, a thing that we look forward to doing. So, and I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were uh, dwelling by the Kibar Canal, and I sat where they were dwelling, and I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. So for seven days, he sat there overwhelmed, right? What was he overwhelmed by? He was overwhelmed by the reality that he had been unaware of. When you get into the book of Revelation, I think it's in chapter 8, it talks about the, uh, the, the, this picture of the return of Christ beginning to unfold, and, it's, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a series of triggers that are taking place, and it says that the heavens were silent, will be silent for 30 minutes, right? Why is that? Because there is an awareness, most scholars say, in the heavens of how bad things have gotten on earth. There is an awareness that these things are about to unfold, and it's talking about pestilence and, 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 and death and these, these terrible things. I'm not trying to, 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 to bring you down yet. That'll happen in just a moment. Uh, but, but there's this picture that when you become aware of how bad a situation is, it's difficult to speak. When the doctors told uh, us that our son would not live, they wanted to take him off the respirator so that he could die. I remember I walked out of the hospital and Carmen was beside me and I called my mom. I dialed the number and I put it up to my head and I did not realize I could not speak. I couldn't breathe. I sat down and I just remember hearing my mom asking, are you there? Are you there? And I had no breath in my lungs because I became aware of just how bad the situation was. And that's the closest that I can come to communicating exactly what it is that Ezekiel is feeling for seven days, sitting there, overwhelmed by a new reality. Do you know that even as godly men and women, we can, we can be just completely oblivious to the reality around us? And God says, Ezekiel, I've got to ask you to do something, and it's not going to be easy. And so for seven days, he sat there. It is difficult to watch people advocate for, walk in, or simply ignore sin. And that's what he began to see. He began to see that there are those who are totally for sin. There are those that will, that will walk in it. And they'll absorb it. There are others, they just ignore it. And he becomes aware of this. Verse 16 and at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. 
If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. So now he's aware of the sin, and God tells Ezekiel that if I tell you to go and warn somebody about their sin, and you don't do it, they'll still be held accountable for their sin, but I will also hold their blood over you. And just, just some perspective for you, and, 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 and I'm not trying to say this because I, I require extra empathy in my life, uh, but, but as you are living this life, and whether you're at City Church or whether you are involved in another ministry, you, you have to be aware of the fact that, that there, is a, there is a responsibility that sets on individuals, an accountability that sets on individuals who, who make the decision to, to be obedient and walk in what we call the, the, the five-fold ministry, Right? I'm aware of this. It's really honestly the reason why there are some things that I don't understand in Scripture, so I just don't act on them. And people will get all upset sometimes saying, Pastor Jim, you don't believe this, you don't believe that. And honestly, there are things because I don't believe, I don't want to heap judgment on anybody else, right? So I, I'm, I will be very slow. He says in verse 19, but if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you shall have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. And the hand of the Lord was upon me there, and he said to me, Arise, go out into the valley, and there I will speak with you. So I arose and went out into the valley, and behold, the glory of the Lord stood there like the glory that I had seen by the Kibar Canal, and I fell on my face. And you, O son of man, behold, cords will be placed upon you, and you shall be bound with them so that you cannot go out among the people." And I will make your tongue uh, cling to the roof of your mouth so that you shall be mute and unable to reprove them for they are a rebellious house. Verse 27 ends this chapter. But when I speak with you, I will open your mouth and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, he who will hear, let him hear. And he who will refuse to hear, let him refuse for they are a rebellious house. And this is what he says. You're about to go out and start this ministry, and where's the responsibility for hearing? The responsibility for hearing is on them. And I will tell you this, in your walk with God, hear me today, the responsibility for hearing is on you. The responsibility for hearing from God sits on your shoulders. And so as you're in your time of prayer, as you're in the Word, as you are living life, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, then you also need to be ready to say, God, speak that I may hear. And I think there are just so many people who do not take the time to listen. And so that faith that might have started as a fire becomes an ember and begins to burn out. 
And then we end up with people who say, well, I was a Christian, but I don't know that I believe that anymore. But as we hear from God, it changes our lives. Now it's time to get to work. I'm going to cover these next two chapters very, very quickly. So he tells them, set up this large outdoor uh, playhouse, right? He says, I want you to come. I want you to build a model of the city. And I want you to build this uh, so that they can see how the enemy will not only have victory, but will be unstoppable. So if you can imagine this little playhouse being set up out here and he's sitting here going, hey guys, let me tell you how you're going to be crushed, right? This is how it's going to happen. And on top of that, no matter what you do, you're not going to be able to stop the enemy. He goes on and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to tie your body up and I want you to lie on your left side for 390 days out there in the street. And then when you're done, I want you to lie on your, side, on your right side for 40 more days. Now, he doesn't do this all day long because um, he's going to uh, actually have some other things he does. But every day he's got to go out and do this for a little while. And when the people are mocking him and making fun of him, God said, hey, by the way, while they're doing that, I'm going to stick your tongue to the top of your mouth so that you can't be a smart mouth back to them, right? Because I think that's humanity to want to be able to get the last word in. And so Ezekiel's not able to do that. So every day he goes out and does that. And watch this, because if you thought that was kind of trippy, he tells them, he says, on top of that, you will ration your food and cook it over human dung. Now, Ezekiel says, God, enough's enough right? I have never eaten anything cooked over human dung. And God says, all right, all right, I relent. You can eat it cooked over cow dung. And he does this in front of the people. And you're thinking to yourself, man, God, that's just, that's cruel and unusual. And I don't know if I want to believe in a God like that. That's exactly what God was hoping for. God was hoping that while Ezekiel was doing it and sitting out here talking about the things of God, that everybody else would be going, that man is weird. That is a crazy fool. He lays in the street every day on his left side, and then one day, breaking news, he's on his right side, okay? Maybe the, the, the little bit of food he's eating from the cow dung hot pot, hot cooker, whatever, is gone to his head. But every day, he's out there. He's doing this. And then we get, that's Ezekiel 4. Ezekiel 5, right? This is where it begins to make sense why he's doing these things. But before he does, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to shave your head and your beard. Now, this would not have been normal in case you were like, hey, this, just, this was the end look. No, as a Levite, he would not have shaved his head and his beard in his entire life. But God says, I want you to do this, all right? And I want you to take it, and I want you to get a scale. And I want you to take all that hair, and I want you to divide it into thirds, Right? continuing with the weird thing, okay, all right? Here in verse two, a third part you shall burn in the fire in the midst of the city when the days of the siege are completed, and a third part you shall take and strike with the sword all around the city. Can you imagine this guy taking a third of his hair, setting it on the ground, and hitting it with a sword? And everybody's watching, and he's hitting it with the sword. He picks it up, and he walks over to another part of the city and sets it down, and he hits it with the sword. And he's just doing this. Crazy sounding. He says, And a third part you shall scatter to the wind, and I will unsheath the sword after them. 
So what does he say? He says, I want you to take another part, get everybody together and go, watch me. Woo, it's a windy day. There goes the hair. And just as the wind is blowing it away, the Lord's going to be chasing you down with a sword. All right, verse three, and you shall take from these a small number and bind them in your skirts of your robe. We'll get to this in just one second, why this happens and why this is important for the story, because this story sounds pretty fierce so far, right? It's like, oh, there's not a lot of hope for these people, right? So Ezekiel, we have to remember, had competition. The writings show us that there were other prophets, not just the ones that we mentioned, but there were prophets who were prophesying on the street in those days, saying that God is about to bring redemption. God loves you so much. He's coming. This exile thing was a mistake, and he's on his way to fix it. And do you know that, historically speaking, that that was the word that they wanted to hear? And when Ezekiel is talking about the fact that there's going to be the city's burned to the ground and he's laying in the middle of the road, that that is not what they wanted to hear. And it's exactly how God told him that they are a rebellious group. Now, this is the series of passages that bother me in closing. Look here in verse seven. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you are more turbulent than the nations that are all around you and have not walked in my statutes or obeyed my rules and have not even acted according to the rules of the nations that are all around you. So not only, not only have you been rebellious, but you, you haven't even acted in line with the other nations that you try to act like. Like you just, you don't even follow their rules, right? There's a real wickedness that's in here. And this, this bothers me to think about a, a, a church, right? A group of people who are chosen by God, called by God, and, and more importantly than anything, claim to be gods. And yet will of their own accord live however they want to live. And this, this troubled me. This troubles me. I'm sitting here reading this and I'm thinking to myself, like, 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 like God cares, about how we interact with the world around us when he says that we are a city on a hill, we are salt in this world, we are light in the darkness. Like those are not just some type of metaphor to help you sleep better at night because of how much God loves you, but they are a picture of what God is calling you to do to have an impact on the world. For, for, for them to know God, that is his desire, is that the world would know him. And he goes in these next verses and he helps them understand that a third represented by the hair will die from pestilence and famine. A third will die by the sword and a third will be scattered among the nations. And that's exactly what happens. But there is a glimmer of hope. There is a glimmer of hope. And, 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 and we get a little glimpse into this and we're gonna get more of this hope throughout this book. And it is right there in verse three, right? Divide it into thirds. I want you to do this. This is symbolic of what's happening, but there will be a remnant. There will be a portion. There will be those who will say, I hear what you're saying. They will be the ones to repent. They will be the ones to walk in the fullness of God. That is what you and I are called to do. We are called to be the remnant. We are called to take him at his word. We are called to be children of God, and the invitation is there to be a part of that remnant. 
And he says, I want you to tuck it in to the fold of your robes. Why? Because it's there that it'll be protected. It'll be protected from the fire. It'll be protected from the sword. It'll be protected from the wind that will scatter it because it's being held closely. You see, that's the God that we, that we know. That's the, that's the God that we most often preach, is the God that protects us and loves us. And it's the God that we're comfortable with. And can I tell you, that is God. That is who he is. And he wants to pull you in close. He wants to hold you, hold you close. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to get you there. If he's got a lot of fire behind you, have a sword pulled on you, if he's got to scatter you into the wind, he'll do whatever it takes to get you into that fold. Let's stand to our feet. Because this is it. God will prove himself faithful because there will be a remnant. Jesus is returning for his church. Jesus is returning for a, 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 the, the, the bride of Christ, right? When he returns, he's coming for those who love him. And you and I, we get to be a part of that remnant. And the invitation for all to be a part of that remnant exists through the blood of Jesus on the cross. The scripture says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. It begins a process of transformation and change in our lives. We don't just keep being who we were being. Remember, Jesus is sitting there and he's writing in the sand. They want to stone the adulterous woman. And he says, he who has no sin, cast the first stone. And they're all like, well, I got lots of sin in my life. They turn and walk away. But what does he say to her? What does he say to her? Go and sin no more, right? That's the expectation. The expectation is let's identify sin in our lives and let's be better people, right? Because, because, He's our father. This week, as you are meeting with friends, family, I want you to ask this question, and it's probably going to be uncomfortable for some of you, okay? I'm not, I'm not trying to get us running in circles and passing snakes around, okay? All right? Can I tell you, I, I like to joke and say that, that um, I'm a charismatic Pentecostal with a seatbelt. Like, I like my seatbelt. When I was a kid, I went to a very charismatic church, and I used to always, I used to always tell, actually when I was dating Carmen, uh, I was always, there was one guy who was the first one to get to his feet, and then he'd be gone. And I was always like, I'd always pray, God, chain him to the floor tonight. Chain him to the floor tonight. I'd go, here he goes. He's gone. He's gone. And it, I, I just was never comfortable. And you might be comfortable in that scenario. I love the word of God. Like, I'm, I'm in it for the teaching, and I want to hear from God. Like, I want to hear from God, you know? But I'm not looking for the emotional experience only. And I'm not downing you if you love the emotional experience, you know. I'm, that's, what I'm saying is, is that, that you might go, oh, all I can think about is snake handling. That's not what I'm talking about. Hearing from God is extremely biblical. God wants to speak to his children. And so you do not have to go completely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs out there to hear from God. So this week, I want you to, to ask the question, what is God saying right now? Start with some really simple things. Like, what do you, what do you think God is saying to our nation? I'm not, I'm not going to lead you into that, but sit around with your family and ask the question, what do you think God is saying right now? If you had to pause and listen, what would you think God was saying right now to our nation, to our city, to my family? 
Men, can I tell you, this is a question you should be asking all the time about your family. You should constantly be coming and saying, God, what are you saying right now? How can I be ready for tomorrow? Proverbs 13 says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Do you know that doesn't happen by accident? I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but it's not a common thing for the bank to make an error of dropping loads of money into your account. And if you're going to leave an inheritance, you're going to have to be intentional to do that. So maybe a good way to do that is to start going, God, what are you saying right now? Think about all the heartache that some of these people would have been saved from. Amen. Let me pray for you. Uh, if you're watching online right now, if you don't mind just pausing what you're doing, I know it's easy to be doing a hundred things, but like, let's just, let's just be reverent to what God's doing for just a moment. I'm not going to keep you very long, but let's just be reverent for a moment and, and, and just say, God, God, would you speak to us this week? Like, whether it's speaking through somebody else, like, like one, of your, one of your anointed, if that's, if that's how it needs to be, or it, it maybe just speaking directly, give me understanding and insight so that I can have the, the steps of my life ordered more efficiently. God, could you, could you speak to us this week in ways that only you can do? And then, Lord, when you're speaking, could you use us to be your voice? Is there a way, is there something that I, could, I should be saying right now for your kingdom, for your glory? Not, not, not something that I conjure up or project myself, but God, is there genuinely something that you would have me saying? And just with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you don't know Jesus as Lord of your life, right? And, and, and this idea uh, uh, is something that's, that, that's right now, it's just it's, it's, it's stirring something inside of you. The word says that, that if we come and we ask that he is faithful to do the work that he has already begun in us, Jesus will show up in our lives. And then I would say this, that if you're also hearing this and you're like, I just don't care. I just don't care about this. Maybe ask yourself the question, why? Like, why, why, am, I so, why am I so stubborn about this? Do I really have a definitive answer as to why I am not open to the creator of all things speaking to me. And so if you want to make that decision today, I want to pray with you, Lord, just, I, I just pray with anybody making a decision to make Jesus Lord of their life today, God, that, that as they're doing that, Lord, that you are moving with might and power in their lives. And we just pray against the enemy and the attacks and the lies and the intrusions of the enemy to try to distort and distract. Lord, we want truth. We want to hear from you. And Father, I pray for those that, that do not know you. They've maybe even made a conscious decision that they don't care. I pray that their hearts would be softened today, that they would, that they would be in a position where at the very least they were willing to answer the question, why don't I care? God, I pray for our 
city and our nation right now, Lord, that you would move with might and power among us, that we would see a sweeping revival in our world, in our nation. Lord, and by revival, I mean an awakening to who you are, that people would begin to once again pursue you and to hear from you, that God, we could again reestablish the light on the hill. But Lord, if that is not your will in this time and in this season, God, we submit to it. And we say, God, what would you have us do next? In your mighty name, Amen and amen. Guys, I love you. The next part of this is going to be Wednesday night online. There's too much material for me to cover it all on Sundays. So if you want to be a part of this, uh, look at it. Look for it online Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Also, study guides will be on Facebook. You can go back and go a little bit deeper. Uh, guys, God wants to speak to you. So listen this week. And as always, go change your world. We'll see you next Sunday.